Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we get ready to open your word, Father, we understand that there is no way to understand your word unless your Holy Spirit interprets it for us. And so it is with that in mind that we ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit this morning, that you silence our hearts, our minds, that nothing else matters at this moment but to hear your word, your message. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. In 2008, at the age of 43, TV personality and author Bruce Feiler, remember that series, Walking the Bible, PBS series? He received the shocking news that he had a rare form of bone cancer in his left leg. Several tests, x-rays, and body scans and biopsies all confirmed that indeed he had a high-grade osteoblastic osteogenic sarcoma in the left femur. This was all translated to him by his doctors as a very bad disease. The treatment would include several rounds of different kinds of very intense chemotherapy, a 15-hour-long surgery to remove the bulk of his femur and also replace that with a titanium prosthesis. Also, parts of his fibula and thigh muscle would need to be removed, and if all of that was a success, more intense chemotherapy would follow. As Bruce sat in his bed mentally sifting through all of the information he had just received, and considering the impending battle for his life, his three-year-old twin daughters, Eden and Tybee, walked through the room dancing around without a care in the world. He wrote in his book, The Council of Dads, how at that very moment he couldn't help but imagine all the walks he might not get to take with them. All the ballet recitals he might not get to see and all the aisles he might not get to walk down on. And so as he confronted his own mortality head on, his thought went to that which is most important to him, his twin daughters. If things don't go well, he thought, who will take care of my girls? Who will teach them everything a father should teach his children? An idea came to his mind. He would pick six of his closest friends and ask them to commit themselves to help raise his daughters if everything went south for him. He would call these men the Council of Dads. In a poised but moving letter he shared with each of his six friends, he shared what he desired the most. If he were to lose his battle with cancer, would they each, each commit to stand in as a father figure to his daughters who would help love and guide them throughout their lives? 
So in one particular poignant part of his letter, he writes, I believe my daughters will have plenty of resources in their lives. They'll have loving families. They'll have welcoming homes. They'll have each other. But they may not have me. They may not have their dad. Will you help be their dad? Will you listen, answer their questions, take them out to lunch every now and then? Go to a soccer game if you're in town. Watch their ballet moves for the umpteenth time. Indulge them in a new pair of shoes or a new gadget that I can't even imagine right now. Will you give them advice? Will you be tough as I would be? Will you help them out in a crisis? And as time passes, will you invite them to family gatherings on occasion? Will you introduce them to somebody who may help make one of their dreams come true? Will you tell them what I would be thinking? Will you tell them how proud I am of them? Will you be my voice? In the book of John, chapters 13, verses 13 through 17, or chapters 13 through 17, rather, we find another letter from someone who also knew his time on earth was short. Jesus gathered his own council of men, his disciples, for what would become his very last speech to them on earth. He knows Judas is just moments away from betraying him, so he knows his time is short. So he is getting ready to share what he wants to say. He begins with the simplest, most humble act of all. He grabbed a bowl, filled it with water, and then grabbed a towel, and he started one by one to wash each of the disciples' feet. Now, this was as shocking to them as it would be to you if I stopped this sermon, went down, grabbed a bucket and a towel, and started one by one to wash each of the set of feet in this room. And that was the point. This was a magnificent visual of Jesus' humility and meekness in full display. Judging by the detail John provides in his narrative, this was something that none of the disciples would forget for as long as they lived. Jesus was teaching them in action what it meant to be a true follower of Christ. And just in case there was any confusion about the message that he wanted to give to them, he then proceeds to give them word for word that which mattered the most to him. So let's go to John 13, chapter, uh, verses 33 through 35. And it says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So right off the bat, we can tell that his heart is tender and emotional. 
As he begins to talk using one of the sweetest terms that a teacher at the time would use for his disciples, technion, little children, my dear ones, I have just a short time left with you. So up to this point, everywhere Jesus went, his disciples went also. For three whole years, they traveled together, they ate meals together, they went everywhere together, ministered together. But now Jesus is breaking the news to his, to his disciples that he's leaving. And where he goes, they can't come also. So imagine the shock in the disciples' faces, the questions running through their minds. They can't hardly focus on anything else. Where are you going? Why can't we go with you? Are you moving to another country? Jesus has no time to explain. He knew that all of those questions would become clear to them after the cross. So in the next few minutes that they have together, he proceeds to tell them the one thing they must remember. Love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. You remember as a child when an adult would tell you, do as I say, not as I do, right? They would tell you to do something, turn around and do the exact same thing they told you not to do. Just do what I say, not what I do. My first career was in marketing and at the time I had a, uh, a boss who hated vegetables with a passion. And so every time we went out to eat, it was like dinner and a show, watching her just order a meal. And if we were at an Italian restaurant, she would order pasta with absolutely nothing on it but butter. Because, you know, the pasta could not fraternize with the enemy, which of course was the tomato sauce. And I once asked her, are your kids as picky as you are? And she goes, well, you know, when they ask me, why I don't have vegetables on my plate. I just tell them, I ate my vegetables while I was preparing your meal in the kitchen, so really I don't need to eat anymore. See, before, before a single word came out of Jesus' mouth, he was already demonstrating in action what he wanted them to know. Love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. Be humble, serve each other. Now this does not mean that you ought to walk around with buckets of water and towels and wash people's feet because that would be weird. Jesus was demonstrating with this act that he is calling them and also us, to be servants of others, not to think of others as below us or to think of us as above anyone else. Washing people's feet was the job of the lowest of the lowest servant in the household. When visitors came, this was the servant who would rush to the door, wash the visitor's feet before that visitor even entered the house. So Jesus was calling each of them to a life of serving others. The way that he was demonstrating to them. 
In biblical times, repeating something twice was a sign of importance. Remember John 3, 5? Verily, verily, I say to you. It means sit up straight, listen up. What I'm about to say deserves your attention. So in this passage, we see Jesus repeating the same phrase three times. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, that if you have love for one another. So the importance of these words are highlighted not only in the context that they were shared right before Jesus' departure, but also in verbal emphasis as he repeats them three times. Now something interesting is that Jesus uses the word new when referring to this commandment. On top of everything the disciples are processing in this moment as Jesus, as Jesus breaks the news to them that he is about to leave. Now, this must have been confusing to them because they've heard Jesus talk about loving others already, right? So I'm sure their minds went back to the mountain where Jesus preached the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 44 and 45, he said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I'm sure that was in their minds. And also the time in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, when the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus and asking him, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind with all your heart, with all your soul. And then he says, that's the first commandment. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm sure all these experiences are rotating in their minds and they're wondering what's the new here. But they can't help but think we're losing our friend, our mentor. Jesus knew in time they would come to understand his words in the context of the cross. The disciples had no idea what was about to happen in just moments. But once they would see this experience through the lens of the cross, they would come to understand that what Jesus was telling them was that they ought to love the world at whatever cost. The novelty of the commandment was not so much the words of Jesus, but that they would soon understand them within the context of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. In that moment, the disciples couldn't possibly understand the weight of his words as Jesus had only been a great teacher, a great healer, a beautiful representation of God in the flesh. But once they saw the cross and the extremes Jesus was willing to go to for his friends and his enemies, then and only then they would understand that's what he meant when he said to love one another 
do it in the same way I have loved you. I often wonder what Jesus would do if he lived among us during this new era of technology and social media. Have you ever asked that question to yourself? We live in a time when someone can insult a complete stranger online, on a blog or a social media post and feel absolutely no remorse about it. It's like it didn't happen, right? We spread our ideas, whether right or wrong, online and to whatever cost of anyone's feelings. We live in a I am lion, hear me roar double life online. And because we're not actually arguing with the other person face to face, we think, well, it doesn't count. We are void of any culpability. But it matters. It does matter. I want to show you a picture. Now, when you see this picture, please note the very first thought that comes to your mind. And now, don't share the thought with anyone else. Just note the thought and hold it. Do we have it? <laughs> Do we have a picture? Oh, it's online. Sorry, I can't see it in the back. The woman in the picture, her name is Molly Lensing. Now, you may have seen this picture circulating online, perhaps. This picture was taken by a complete stranger at an airport just over a year ago. The stranger took the picture posted the picture to her own Facebook account and included the following quote. Said Albert Einstein said, I fear the day that technology will take on our humanity. The world will be populated by a generation of idiots. Pretty harsh, isn't it? The picture went viral and it was shared over 65,000 times in just a few weeks. Thousands of complete strangers berated and passed judgment on the woman on the picture whom they had never met and completely unbeknownst to her. A few months after the picture went viral, Molly herself stumbled upon her picture online and was horrified to see a picture of herself circulating the internet. And much worse, to see the vicious comments that people were leaving about her and what they thought about her parenting. Molly, as it turns out, is a pediatric nurse at a hospital and was fearful her bosses would see this picture and think that she's neglectful and shouldn't be trusted with children. So she felt it was important for her to explain herself. So later, she shared the story of what happened. Molly was unfortunate enough to be one of the people stuck at a Colorado airport enduring a 20-hour delay due to Delta's computer shutdown. And at the moment the stranger took the picture, she was attempting to communicate with her family who were all wondering, where in the world is Molly? 
The baby who had been cooped up in mom's arms for a long time was now enjoying a stretch and a sweet nap on a clean nap uh, on a clean blanket on the floor. Not a day passes by when Molly doesn't think of that picture and the comments from complete strangers. In 1994, during the Clinton administration, Mother Teresa was invited to the White House as a special guest for the National Prayer Breakfast. Courageously, as only Mother Teresa was, but firmly, she talked for over 30 minutes about what it means to show love to others, what it means to live out the call God has placed on each person's life, and she also spent about half of that time speaking against abortion and what she believed was the greatest destroyer of peace today. This was certainly not a sentiment shared by everyone in the room, including the president himself, so inevitably, the media could not wait to get a hold of the president and ask him what he thought about Mother Teresa's remarks. So as soon as the breakfast was over, eagerly one of the reporters approached President Clinton and said, so how do you feel about what Mother Teresa said about abortion? And I absolutely love his answer. He replied, how can one argue with a life so well lived? How can anyone argue with a life so well lived? See, it all hinges on verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We prove to the world we are indeed followers of Jesus by our love. The only picture of Jesus the world around us will see is you and me. Our words, our actions, our posts, our comments, the things that break our hearts, the things that are more important to us, and even the things we refuse to take part of, all either point the world to Christ or it doesn't. You and I are the council of men and women, boys and girls, because children, you too, all of us, are the ones Jesus is calling in his absence to share and demonstrate his love to the world. Just like Bruce, who by the way did beat the cancer and is very much alive today, but just like him when he thought he was at the end, wanted to ask his friends to stand in and be fathers to his daughters, just like Bruce, Jesus is asking you and me to be his stand-ins in the world. The world has plenty of people who are adding to the noise. There are already plenty of critical, judgmental, vindictive people in the world. So if Jesus' followers act the same way, we are just adding to the noise and not standing out. What the world needs is more people who will love like Christ did. Not like the world loves because even criminals love their own. But what God has called us to do is to love like Christ loved. 
He died not just for those who believed in him, but for everyone, including those who don't believe. And so God has called us to love one another without reservation, without discrimination, without expectation of anything. In this, the whole world will know that we are followers of Christ. You know, the beginning of the year is a great time to take inventory of our lives and to create resolutions, things that need tweaking. So today, I want to invite you to ponder about the things that are preventing you and preventing me from loving others in the way Jesus wants us to love others. Now this may be, I don't know, a quick temper, a judgmental spirit, or, or even a tendency to discriminate other races. Could it be a spirit of apathy? Whatever it is, this is the time to ask God, help us, help me with this because I know that is preventing me from loving the world in a way that I know you're calling me to love others. The deacons have passed out some cards on the pew. Each pew have cards. And I'm going to invite you now to write down and be very specific about what it is that God is calling you to overcome this year in order to love others in a way that will bring honor and glory to God. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. And so we need to be very specific about what it is that we want to ask God. And so as the song plays, I invite you to write that down and bring it to this box. And then we're going to have a prayer of dedication.
Children, you are hope for justice. Stand firm in the truth now. Set your hearts above. You will be reaching long after we're gone. And certainly don't want to be in the way of anyone if there's still someone who wants to make their way to the front. When When I started in ministry, the first thing they told me was, don't cry in front of people. I have broken that rule every single time. There's something about God's love. And if you let it, it will change your life forever. Only His love can transform our love. There is nothing else that can do it. So, we come to Him, we humble before Him, and we say we cannot do this without You. We cannot. It's impossible.
it's impossible because we're human and our tendency is not to love others our tendency is to be selfish that's not something we have to teach our children is it that's something they learn on their own as we begin this year can we just say god I don't want this to be like any other year. I want this to be the year of the revival. A year where we give it all, no holding back. Because it belongs to him anyway. It belongs to him. Pastor Jeff, would you pray? Because I probably can't. <laughs> Let's stand and pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, you've certainly given us so many gifts in our lives, but in this Christmas season reminds us as we sit around and we pass around the gifts, but truly the greatest gifts are the gifts of each other. You gave us Jesus. He came to be God with us. You've given us each other and given us the opportunity to love each other. Lord, I pray that this year, as Kayla has said, our hearts will be filled with love for each other and that we will, we will practice a new, a new task, and that is each time we come through these doors, we will look around and we will say, these are the people that I love. That that will be the spirit in our heart, not a spirit of hostility or competition or a spirit of, of suspicion, but rather we will say, these are the people that I love. And that the love that grows in here will not be contained in this space, but it will spill out the doors and we will become loving people everywhere we go. Ambassadors for the God of heaven, carrying everywhere the aroma of the love of God in everything we do. Lord Kayla said it well, we cannot do that on our own. So send us your Holy Spirit and may we love one another in this year. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.